Hello, and welcome to Bridgeford Trust Company's Delivering Direction and Control podcast series. Our podcast series is designed to educate, challenge, and inspire listeners while keeping you updated on developments regarding modern trust law and powerful planning opportunities available, all in an effort to deliver direction and control to clients and their advisors. I'm David Warren, co-founder of Bridgeford Trust Company and chairman of the board. Uh, Very happy to be here again with you on another episode of our podcast series. Uh, We've had some... Uh, the great pleasure of interviewing some some wonderful speakers and and uh, presenters over the years and and actually our guest today to talk about an extremely important topic is again Terry Prendergast which is ironic because this is how we began our podcast series and before I go through a, a introduction of Terry I want to talk about this particular podcast is a little bit different in that it's addressing a specific topic, a very important topic in our industry uh, that has been talked about uh, not only across the United States, but around the world. Uh, and I know that firsthand at the various conferences I've been um, outside of the United States. And of course, I'm referring to the, uh, the Pandora Papers, uh, which is a proverbial bomb that was dropped on our industry probably three or four weeks ago now um, that uh, focused on a data breach of uh, 14 uh, foreign service providers, uh, some of which are in South Dakota but are around the United States and and across the world. And the data breach um, revealed the names of uh, of high-profile individuals who have engaged in various forms of, I will say, legal planning. Uh, and Terry will talk more about that as we go through our podcast together. Um, and and it's it, it's when I talk about it as a proverbial bomb because it's it's consistent with the Pandora Papers and other types of data leaks. And I think the important point to remember as we talk through this, and Terry takes us through this uh, in many different ways. And different topics is that um, at its core, that's what it is, is a data breach. And I'm, I'm very happy to report that uh, Bridgeford Trust Company was not among the 14 foreign service providers that were identified in the report uh, issued. And um, of the 105 trust companies uh, that we have in South Dakota, uh, sadly, they all sort of were cast under the same presumption of nefariousness uh, and perhaps negative light that Terry will address uh, in the podcast and will tell very much the rest of the story. Um, But just a a little bit more about Bridgeford in terms of its data security. Uh, And I certainly can't speak to the other South Dakota trust companies, but for sure at Bridgeford, we spend a lot of time, uh, energy, resources, and money, frankly, uh, to make sure that we have the state of the art technology to protect us from data breaches like this. Uh, there's a myriad of, of, of uh, safeguards that we have in place. Uh, our IT department's led by a forensic IT professional uh, that very much keeps Bridgeford safe. Um, so it's not a surprise that Bridgeford was not implicated in this. Uh, and I don't expect Bridgeford to be named in any subsequent report or with respect to this particular report, because um, there's some some thought that there's going to be additional um, downloads of information and names. And again, I don't believe that Bridgeford, in fact, I'm sure Bridgeford will not be implicated or mentioned in any way. So back to Terry. So Terry Printergast is, uh, in our view, uh, the most, or if not the most, one of the most prolific South Dakota attorneys. Uh, having been a trust in the trust industry his whole career, uh, he's very close to Bridgeford. We're very close to Terry. He got us our trust charter. Uh, and in many respects, uh, we don't make many moves without Terry. Uh, he is very well known across the United States and, and around the world 
working with attorneys, uh, bringing trusts into South Dakota. Um, in addition, many of the modern trust laws that he'll reference today, he helped craft and shape uh, through his work on the uh, Governor's Trust Task Force uh, and uh, and testifying year over year before the legislature in South Dakota to, to really focus on keeping South Dakota at the forefront of modern trust law. So in many respects, in really all respects, uh, it's totally fitting to have Terry talk about the Pandora Papers, talk about its uh, implication uh, on the South Dakota trust industry in particular, and, and really clarify uh, what appears to be some real disinformation and, and, and uh, inappropriate innuendo. So Terry, you know, again, I, I've thanked you several times before we're here now, but we do appreciate your guidance and expertise and your analysis of of what you've seen in the last four weeks. So please, um, you know, we know why this podcast is here. So tell me what brought you into this conversation three or four weeks ago and, and let's get started. Thanks, David. Uh, a month ago when I was first contacted regarding published articles about South Dakota trusts, friends, family, and clients were asking about headlines such as uh, South Dakota trusts shelter $367 billion in illegal funds or South Dakota peddles financial secrecy, or South Dakota assists tax cheats in cheating the government of $367 billion in state trusts. I honestly felt like I was in one of my favorite poems by Rudyard Kipling, If You Can Keep Your Head When All About You Are Losing Theirs and Blaming It on You. So what I did, David, was I went back to the source of the articles. The Washington Post was a big one, and I reviewed all the releases I could find of the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, the ICIJ. The original article stated that the ICIJ had reviewed 11.9 million confidential documents. Now, that's enough to comprise more than 1,026 volume sets worth of encyclopedia sets worth of financial records. And it became clear to me that the sensationalist headline writers who sought to raise a controversy had either not reviewed or failed to understand the materials, perhaps because they had an agenda like a bias against flyover states like South Dakota. And in continuing to see these three to five paragraph articles republished and rehashed with instant analysis, continuing to repeat the same falsehoods and misleading inferences, it became clear that the true South Dakota trust story was being ignored. In this age of instant gratification with sensational headlines to grab attention and no story longer than five paragraphs, it's not unusual for folks to believe what's on their social media or news purveyor, whether it's true or accurate or not, or whether it's vetted or not. And I think many of these headline writers served the public poorly in their review of these leaked confidential documents. It's easy to see what happened. Those writers creating the inferences and headlines could not have read the full articles or sources. You know, the Wall Street Journal editorial board pointed out that the Washington Post story actually admitted Quote, there is no evidence in the Panama Papers documents that any of the foreigners with trusts in the United States sheltered criminal proceeds. But the Wall Street Journal also pointed out that that admission isn't found until paragraph 18 of the Washington Post's main story. The problem is that seemingly no one creating the reposts 
even read to that buried paragraph 18. Instead, they were content to retweet and rehash the first few paragraphs and then conjure up a sensationalist headline seeming to advance their agenda. I guess controversy sells whether it's based in fact or not. (laughs) You know, David, earlier in my life, I was a part-time journalist. Since nothing in the headline, quote, South Dakota has $367 billion in illegal funds sheltered in trusts for tax cheats, approaches any type of accuracy, I knew it was important to get out the rest of the South Dakota story and analyze the who, what, where, why, and how of this vast trove of misinformation. And that's the purpose of this podcast, which you and Bridgeford asked me to uh, present. And to show you how old I am, David, I remember when radio commentator Paul Harvey would say, and now for the rest of the story. So now we'll provide listeners the rest of the story. Well, I remember that too, Terry, and I am humbled and thrilled to have you tell us the rest of the story because it's important uh, to get the facts out there. And and so let's start at this this headline. You know, uh, South Dakota has three hundred and sixty billion dollars in Ill- illegal funds hidden in trusts for tax cheats and money launders. And that's that's a direct quote. Well, let's break that down. Um, does South Dakota have billions in trust? First of all, let's go. Let's talk about that. Okay, David. Yes. Uh, in fact, if the authors had simply looked at the website of the South Dakota Division of Banking, they'd know that in the 105 chartered public and private trust companies in South Dakota, there's actually over 500 billion dollars in assets as of January 1st, 2021. So they now, first, so they got their first fact wrong. <laughs> right. Now, you know that's not unusual because South Dakota's such a strong financial institution state. In fact, South Dakota is number two in the nation in bank assets with over $3.5 trillion of bank assets as of uh, Q2 of 2021. You know, South Dakota has always had a balanced budget. It's AAA bond rated with public pensions more than 100% funded. Takes a two-thirds vote of the South Dakota legislature to impose taxes, so the tax system is far more stable than in many other states. South Dakota also benefits from the same things all other U.S. states do. It's got a comparatively strong rule of law, a stable currency, and a good infrastructure. And thus, individuals, both domestic and foreign, seeking a place to situs their trusts or form trust companies, seek out South Dakota. But that $500 billion in trust assets also represents an estimated minimum of over 400,000 trust and custodial accounts just in those 105 state chartered trust companies. It should be remembered that the underlying article found only 81 accounts in South Dakota held by the implicated foreign individuals over its 20-year period of analysis from 2000 to 2019. And the analysis indicated that the trusts identified in South Dakota had between 67,000 and 165 million in assets. So, over a 20-year period, out of 11.9 million documents and out of 21 trust accounts established in South Dakota, the article spotlighted seven of the at least 400,000 accounts in South Dakota. 
and each of those seven accounts had between $67,000 and $165 million in assets. That's a far cry from a claim of $367 billion of illegal funds being put in South Dakota trust by foreign citizens. So the what of the story is that South Dakota is a top jurisdiction for folks who want to manage their funds and trusts. And these trusts hold small to large amounts, but are all legally administered pursuant to the laws of South Dakota and the United States. Well, that's excellent, Terry. So that's a great way to begin with the, the what of this issue. So let's now turn to the who of this of this issue and, and sort of the target, I, I suppose, of maybe the inappropriate innuendo. Tell us about the South Dakota Trust Companies, um, most of which you have represented at some point in your career, uh, like Bridgeford, um, that hold the uh, $500 billion plus in these accounts, um, particularly with respect to uh, how stringently South Dakota regulates them. Okay. Well, first of all, David, all South Dakota trust companies are regulated and chartered by the South Dakota Division of Banking. South Dakota does not even allow, as some states do, unregulated trust companies. So all of them are regulated. All of the trust companies have policies and procedures that they follow at the time of acceptance of any trust, and in particular foreign trusts. The South Dakota Division of Banking examines these trust companies and requires them to have acceptance policies. For the 41 trust companies in South Dakota that have some component of foreign trusts, the division publishes extensive guidance. The trust companies, like Bridgeford, are heavily regulated and require risk ratings on accounts. They require customer identification policies, know-your-customer rules, and anti-money laundering compliance, just as all financial institutions like banks do. Since 2018, federal banking know-your-customer and anti-money laundering rules were extended to state trust companies, as were beneficial ownership rules. There's strong regulations in place. Additionally, South Dakota trust companies are extensively examined by the Division of Banking every 24 months. Normally, it's a two- to three-week examination on-site. There are also spot checks on foreign trusts in between examinations to determine trust company compliance. Trust companies must search databases worldwide. They usually use WorldCheck or LexisNexis. They must have a designated AML officer, a training program, and perform continuous checks of the Office of Financial As- Foreign Assets Control and the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network databases when accepting a trust account for any foreign individual or an account that contains foreign assets. And then even after acceptance, they must do periodic checks based on the risk rating. Additionally, as all financial institutions, there's responsibilities under the Currency Act and filing of suspicious activities reports. So the Division of Banking of South Dakota provides comprehensive oversight and guidance, and the trust companies themselves have extensive policies and procedures to ensure acceptance of legal and legitimate accounts. Now, can we guarantee that nothing would ever slip through this net or that circumstances would never change so that an individual that you'd accepted a trust from years ago may suddenly turn rogue and and have some nefarious actions? Well, no, we can't no more so than any financial institution or any bank or any governmental entity or, frankly, 
any investigative reporter for the ICIJ could do so. Do we want to have a no-tolerance policy for disreputable individuals? Of course. But let's be honest. Seven out of 400,000 or more accounts over a 20-year period is a pretty enviable track record. I suspect that those writing the sensationalist headlines would have to agree if they'd just taken the time to examine the facts. It appears, David, that the article started with the presumption that foreign individuals and families who created trusts in South Dakota were breaking the law, and then the articles had to work back from there. The fact is that South Dakota trust companies, with the assistance of the Division of Banking, start with the research and background data on the individuals seeking to create the accounts. They go through all the OFAC, FinCEN, and other checks to determine the risk in administration, and then they have a program to recheck the information as the account is administered. It's a well-regulated process, and that's the rest of the story. Yeah, that's an excellent summary, Terry. And I could tell you, as, as having I've been part of Bridgeford leadership and as a founder, we've gone through several banking exams uh, as well as uh, enjoy a, a very professional relationship with the Division of Banking. And they've given us tremendous guidance in all of this. And so, you know, you've described a, a system that we live under and, and appreciate, frankly, of the guidance they give to us and, and really stands in stark juxtaposition to how it was described um, in, in these articles. Um, you know, the word uh, secret was tossed around a lot, or secrecy was tossed around a lot in just about everything that I read. Um, describe that for me. Is that is that the right modifier or rather descriptor here as to, as to what we're talking about? Well, David, these trusts aren't secret. Information about these trusts is not secret. And as I mentioned, first of all, that before the trust company accepts the account, there's all this paperwork. There's OFAC, FinCEN, and other searches. And then once the account gets established, there's continuous recheck protocols and reviews depending upon the risk rating. The trust companies are examined to be absolutely sure they're compliant, and various other suspicious activity and other reports are filed when required. More than that, however, if the account has taxable income, it must be reported, and it is reported, to the appropriate authorities. Now, some trusts are taxed back to the foreign grantor, and some that have foreign assets are reported to the appropriate IRS authorities. In 2019, the South Dakota Division of Banking sent out an extensive guidance discussing foreign trust tax and reporting requirements, including FATCA, and certifications and requirements of the Internal Revenue Service and FinCEN with reference to 19 separate IRS forms and an additional FinCEN form that the trust companies comply with uh, if required by these uh, particular account. So there's absolutely no concealment by the South Dakota trust companies from the required governmental authorities. All required reports are made to the agencies. Excellent. Well, so then let's draw a, a very sort of important distinction between secrecy, which you just described is not what happens in South Dakota uh, by virtue of the regulations that you've gone through. And let's distinguish that from what is privacy, because that's different. Could you describe why that's different and, and what happens in South Dakota with respect to privacy? And again, not secrecy. Absolutely, David. But 
privacy and confidentiality are different from secrecy from governmental authorities. By equating privacy or confidentiality with secrecy, the folks writing the headlines disparaging South Dakota clearly were trying to advance their agenda, which sounds like concealment. David, just as with all financial records, there's confidentiality. A journalist or curious individual can't get information on private financial accounting. For instance, someone with a checking account at a local bank isn't obligated to disclose publicly where they bank or how much is in their account. If a newspaper asks, I'm not obligated to give them my brokerage account information. Keeping information private in no way means that anything illegal or unethical is taking place. Just like with medical records, private individuals have a right to privacy. <laughs> I, I, I should stop there. Uh, of course, that's the case unless there's an unauthorized and illegal disclosure as there was in this instance, with an indiscriminate disclosure from which those who want to create a big headline infer illegality with no supporting evidence. These dubious uh, claims have disrupted private families in their lives, and these private families are in complete compliance with U.S. and international laws, and it's very unfortunate. It's frankly good that of the 400,000 or more trust accounts in South Dakota, only a few were subjected to this irresponsible release. Now, in addition to the confidentiality of the account records and financial uh, records, as all states have, South Dakota also has a privacy and seal of court matters, such as litigation, reformation, modification, requests of the court for administrative advice, decants, those type of things. When, the when we say the court matters are sealed and confidential, however, you must remember that all trust court matters are available to the grantor, any fiduciary, any enforcer, any beneficiary, and any beneficiary's representative and their attorneys. So the parties who have an interest in the court matter can and do have access. But because the court matters require the disclosure of these confidential accounts, as we discussed uh, just now, the legislature in South Dakota concluded that such matters should be sealed from the prying eyes of others who may seek to take advantage of intimate knowledge about an individual or family's affairs and assets. Just as any of those condemning South Dakota would not want all their financial affairs and bank accounts open to any unscrupulous party who wanted to see them, neither do those who establish trusts in South Dakota. That's the reason for these bank privacy, financial privacy, and court seal rules. They protect and safeguard the clients, families, and their businesses. And in particular, David, with foreign accounts, identity theft, bad faith lawsuits, and in some cases, nationalization by dictators and particularly family safety for the individuals who have the accounts can be implicated by such disclosures. So keeping that information from prying eyes of illicit individuals, but still reporting it appropriately to all required authorities, that's the rest of the story. 
And I think a very important part of the rest of the story, I mean, Terry, I can confirm anecdotally having sat with families in Mexico and Peru and Colombia directly. I mean, their, their concern about their private information getting into the public is, is, is a matter of safety uh, for their children and their families. And so the distinction you've made is perfect with respect to secrecy versus privacy. And I know that those of us who represent South Dakota in one way or another through the trust industry or the legal industry are, are proud of South Dakota's privacy provisions, which do serve to protect the information that you talked about. And I think a similar distinction <clears throat> is is with respect to what the headlines have referred to as tax cheats or tax evasion. Again, another juxtaposition. There's there's tax planning, smart legal tax planning, uh, versus tax cheating and tax evasion. So, Terry, can you draw that distinction for us and and, and give sure. us give us more guidance there? Sure, David. Any responsible journalist should have explored uh, this difference uh, rather than labeling people tax cheats or tax evaders. First of all, start with the proposition that South Dakota has no state income tax or transfer tax. So trusts in South Dakota generally do not pay state income tax on undistributed income they earn uh, within the state. All South Dakota trusts do pay any required federal income tax or transfer tax, just as do trusts in all other states. However, because of South Dakota's lack of a state income tax and its very low state premium tax for private placement insurance, many people want to put their trusts in South Dakota. People who structure their affairs and businesses to establish trusts are no more tax cheats than anyone who wants to pay a lower tax bill. We don't say that those who claim the earned income credit or the child care credit are tax cheats because they'd be paying higher tax without claiming credit. And as I reviewed the many articles resulting from this release, which buried or explained, uh, failed to explain tax deferral, I was struck with the fact that many of the sensationalists seem to be wanting South Dakota to actually start imposing higher and higher state taxes because people and entities in states with low or no taxes were somehow cheating on their tax bills. You know, one famous quote that I'll always remember is from the Helvering versus Gregory case in the Federal Second Circuit, later affirmed by the U.S. Supreme Court. It's a quote from Judge Learned Hand. He said, quote, anyone may arrange his affairs so that his taxes shall be as low as possible. He is not bound to choose that pattern which best pays the treasury. There is not even a patriotic duty to increase one's taxes. First of all, David, many of the trusts in South Dakota represent tax deferral. In fact, dynasty trusts will ultimately pay transfer taxes when the amount of the trust is distributed or the trust terminates. Tax deferral is nothing more than the government saying, you are allowed to postpone paying your taxes today until a date in the future. I would imagine most folks that take a deduction this year from their income taxes for an IRA or 401k understand that when the amount is distributed to them on their retirement from those accounts, they'll pay taxes on it at that time. They don't and should not feel that they're tax cheats for deferring the tax today and Deferrals of these South Dakota trusts are no different. 
the next type of tax uh, technique that many of the trusts in South Dakota and everywhere use is tax avoidance. Now, I recognize that when I use the words tax avoidance, some people think that's a boogeyman, but it is legal and legitimate. Two points. Sometimes we can invest in things like municipal bonds, where the U.S. government says that income received is exempt from taxes. This is what a foreign grantor trust is when it's properly structured. The income is exempt from taxes in the United States. Again, are municipal bond investors tax cheats? Or are they merely investing in assets from which the government has said the income is not taxed? Also, point two, there are certain deductions allowed from income which are provided to individuals and trusts across the board, such as the mortgage interest deduction. Are those who take their mortgage interest deduction tax cheats? Well, if they didn't take the deduction, they'd pay more in taxes. So according to the logic of some, they must be tax cheats, just as those parties, both foreign and domestic, who have structured their affairs to avoid the highest possible tax they could possibly pay by putting them in a South Dakota trust, they also claim those people are tax cheats. It just makes no sense to call them tax cheats. But, of course, many times, David, those with an agenda and wishing to provide the most sensational take have used imprecise language. As we just pointed out, tax deferral, which is legal, and tax avoidance, which is legal, suddenly are reported as tax evasion, which is illegal. It's then an easy step to say, South Dakota shelters tax cheats in your headline. Many of these articles seem to ignore the critical difference between avoidance and evasion, and so many of them have done it that I believe the writers and editors either didn't know the difference or recklessly failed to even investigate the difference. You know, if you read the full ICIJ Frequently Asked Questions, you find the following question. Should I assume that everyone that appears in the Pandora Papers is involved in tax avoidance or evasion? And you'll find the answer from ICIJ. No, there are legitimate reasons to create a company in an offshore jurisdiction, and many people declare them to their tax authorities when that is required. It's interesting, Terry, that didn't make the headline, huh? No, that didn't make the headline, David. But first of all, that's a real interesting question and answer for, uh, for, for two specific thoughts. First of all, this question prepared by ICIJ, remember the question was, should I assume that everyone is involved in tax avoidance or evasion? That slyly ignores the difference between legal tax avoidance and illegal tax evasion. It equates them so that one would think they mean the same thing. Now, this is disturbing since the failure to distinguish the vast difference between the two comes directly from the ICIJ. But moreover, I think it's important that at least ICIJ admits that there's legitimate reasons to create these accounts. But some publishers and commentators, however, it appears that that wouldn't create enough controversy. So they imply that there's tax evasion in 360 
billion dollars of assets in South Dakota trusts. David, neither South Dakota dynasty trusts, nor foreign grantor trusts, nor directed trusts, or asset protection trusts, or community property trusts serve as vehicles for tax evasion. There should be no stigma for trusts to be used, as they have been historically, for parties to structure their affairs legally to pay the lowest amount in taxes that they're required to pay. And again, that's the rest of the story. Thank you, Terry. Well, let's turn to um, asset protection f- for for a bit. Um, you know, that's a topic that you know we're pretty passionate about at Bridgeford. You've taught me, frankly, a lot about how it works in South Dakota uh, and how it doesn't work in South Dakota in particular, uh, which I think we'll talk about in the context of the reason why it exists, and it's not particularly to exist to uh, to, to aid fraudulent activity. But, but let's let's turn the attention to asset protection for a moment, because I've seen that in a lot of the articles. I've heard it mentioned in the context of the presumption that if somebody wants asset protection by by that very nature, that makes them nefarious pe- people just by virtue of the fact that they're asking about it. Talk to us about that and how how you've approached that over the years. Yeah, well, there were headlines, David, that. Uh these trusts keep asset from creditors and that creditors can fraudulently place assets in South Dakota trusts. And again, that's absolutely incorrect. Now, it is true that most trusts have an asset protection feature called a spendthrift clause. What that clause essentially says is that a creditor of the beneficiary of the trust cannot get to the trust assets until they're actually distributed to the beneficiary. This clause isn't unique. All 50 states have a spendthrift clause, and it's a legitimate tool. Additionally, all 50 states and the federal government exempt certain assets from creditors' levies, such as homesteads in different amounts. Uh, You may recall that Florida had an unlimited homestead exemption uh, from the O.J. Simpson case such as retirement accounts, such as social security benefits. But the inference that somehow spendthrift protections in trusts or exemptions from creditors are illegitimate is again a clear indication that the authors don't understand the nature of trusts. South Dakota does have fraudulent transfer laws, so that a transfer to a trust by a grantor seeking to defraud creditors can be overturned and reversed. But if one has no current creditors, all states allow an individual to transfer his property for the benefit of those whom he chooses, either directly or into trust. If the individual still has no creditors for a period of time after the transfer, the transfer is final, both as to the person who made the transfer, transferred the property, and to the person who received the property. After the property's been aged in a trust, the spendthrift clause does not allow a creditor to force the trustee to distribute to the beneficiary before the trust document provides it to be distributed. And it also prevents the beneficiary from assigning his interest in a trust to a creditor or mortgaging his future interest. Now, this is only logical. Let me explain it this way. If an individual has some funds, and he wants to give him to his son at a later date in the future, the individual can keep the funds in his own name until that date in the future. If he does that, his son's creditors would never be able to access the funds until he actually transferred them to the son. 
Let's suppose instead the funds were transferred to a trust, and the trust document told the trustee to not give the funds to the son until such a date in the future. Why should the creditors of the son suddenly be able to access those funds immediately? Why should creditors' rights not be just the same as if the trust was not created? This structure doesn't cheat creditors, and it's not illegal, nefarious, or immoral. Again, it's simply a structure allowed by modern trust laws, and frankly, it's not unique to South Dakota. Yeah, I think that's perfectly said, Terry. I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a modern trust law a nuance that certainly didn't exist when I was in law school. And, and and again, as I said, when we touched on this topic, something that we're very passionate about at Bridgeford, as we are passionate about our selection at Bridgeford many many years ago to come to South Dakota uh, to to um, to be chartered, which again I mentioned that you you helped us get. And I think for that reason, and and the great work that Bridgeford has done for families uh, across the nation and, and around the country. Um, we're particularly sensitive. I, I think I'm not only speaking for Bridgeford. I think I'm speaking for any of us in the South Dakota trust industry, as to to why South Dakota was was sort of called out, uh, if you will, or, or highlighted. I, you know, you've mentioned several times uh, throughout our conversation today that a lot of these attributes aren't particularly unique to South Dakota. Uh, Maybe may unique to top tier trust jurisdictions, but nevertheless, how is it that South Dakota ended up in all the headlines, even particularly in light of the small number of of trusts that even implicated the state. Well, I'll let others judge the motives of those who don't like South Dakota's low-tax, business-friendly economy, but I do have some theories as to why the articles referenced a few trusts with South Dakota Citus. First of all, apparently the breach of privacy occurred with trusts in a number of states, but as you pointed out, 81 were cited in South Dakota and seven were highlighted. The headline writers thought it was easier to highlight South Dakota instead of a number of states. And as I said earlier, it's logical that over 20 years of data analyzed, more trusts would be in South Dakota, since South Dakota has many more chartered trust companies than any of the other states and has over $500 billion of assets in it. But second, anecdotally, South Dakota has more trusts than any other states, and given the fact that South Dakota was one of the first states to codify the Murphy Rule, a dynasty trust rule, in 1983, and it's got the most experience with that rule among judges, trust companies, and regulators, it appears that more trusts from a data breach would probably be located in South Dakota. As I said, South Dakota started this in 1983. Twelve years later, in 1995, Delaware was the next state to allow dynasty trusts, and other states followed slowly until Kentucky and Hawaii just allowed them last year. Now, most of the states adopting those dynasty trust rules have not adopted the complete Murphy rule, which addresses both vesting and timing, and that makes many advisors more confident placing their clients' dynasty trusts in South Dakota than in other states. So what we've got is South Dakota having trusts placed in it for over uh, 40 years that are dynasty trusts by advisors, and some states not even allowing this until the last five or 10 years. So when you pick up 20 years of data, you're probably going to find more trust in South Dakota. 
um, than in other states. Mm -hmm. Because South Dakota has such a long experience with these trusts, it's reasonable that there'd be more trust situs in South Dakota that a breach would pick up. You know, South Dakota, David, has been recognized by Trust in the States magazine, as well as most practitioners and advisors, as a top state trust jurisdiction since 2010. And so, of course, many more trusts are placed in South Dakota. In fact, as I said, there's over 400,000 trust accounts today in South Dakota. You know, David, as I thought about this, perhaps a better headline would have been New Study of 11.9 Million Documents Confirms No Evidence of Foreign Trusts in South Dakota Sheltering Criminal Proceeds. And then, of course, we could have the subheading, South Dakota Trusts Remain a Bastion of Security, Privacy, Tax Planning, and Low Costs. And David, that's the rest of the story. Tara, that's outstanding. I uh, I think uh, that would have been an appropriate headline for a responsible journalist, but it probably wouldn't have sold many newspapers or gotten many many eyes on the articles. Uh, Tara, your your as always, your 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 mental clarity and breakdown of the issues is outstanding, and, and this focus on the rest of the story is vital. You know, those of us again who who have uh, are committed to the integrity of, of the trust industry in South Dakota and the power of modern trust law. I think we're appalled by what we read and, and the, the blatant uh, misinformation. Uh, and, and I think that the appearance of, of innuendo and, and wrongdoing was just, is just unfair. And I think the focus probably should be on the, those who stole the data and, and whether these journalists were even, um, responsible for twisting it in the way they did, but that's for another conversation and for others to wrestle with. Terry, is there anything else you'd like to add as we uh, as we conclude our uh, extremely enlightening and timely conversation here about the Pandora Papers? Yeah, David. I find it interesting that the authors labeled this group of articles the Pandora Papers. They said they did so after the Greek myth in which Pandora, the first woman, opened a jar containing the world's evils. You know, the actual myth of Pandora's jar does provide an interesting analogy that many may have forgotten. After Pandora's unchecked curiosity and disobedience of the law released this set of evils on the world, she quickly scrambled and tried to get the lid back on the jar, and she managed to keep one item in the jar. Now, most interpretations say that this item was hope. But in this podcast, we've attempted to explain the remaining item as the truth, the rest of the story of South Dakota Trusts. Even following the release of Pandora's Papers, the truth concerning South Dakota Trusts and Trust Companies is the rest of the story, despite the disingenuous reporting and half-baked inferences in those headlines. Thank you, David. Thank you, Terry. We couldn't agree with you more. Again, your insightful uh, comments uh, were very much appreciated, and I think hopefully we'll, we'll set the record straight, as if you will, uh, to those of us who pay attention to this issue, who have worried about this issue. I know uh, our listeners uh, have, have worried about this issue. We've had questions from literally all over the world about this. Um, and Terry, we really appreciate you taking the time and energy to uh, talk to our listeners. Your, um, 
your friendship and 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 protection of Bridgeford uh, and guidance over the years has been invaluable and, and has proved to be even more invaluable today during this interview. So thank you for your friendship and um, you know for those of you who have additional questions, please feel free to reach out to Terry uh, directly uh, if you have trust that you're looking at that you'd like to move into South Dakota. Certainly, Terry is an excellent resource for that. And his information will be attached. Uh, you'll see that in, in, in written form of this uh, interview. So once again, Terry, thank you very much. We'll let you get back to your work in South Dakota during this busy time of year for us all. And I look forward to our continued work together. Thanks, David. Thanks again for listening to Bridgeford Trust Company's Delivering Direction and Control podcast series. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to keep posted on when new episodes are added. And for more information, you can visit us online at bridgefordtrust.com.